0: Year ago, um, most people identify a big break. um, And that's, it's not a big question to have for today, but, you know, uh, as we start chapter 40, you know, just have it in the back of your mind is there really a huge disconnect between what Isaiah is presenting in chapter 40 and what he's presented earlier? And there is a a shift in theme. You know, as we've talked about repeatedly (laughs) over the past year, the the, the main message that Isaiah has been trying to get across uh, over these first 39 chapters is, is who's Israel going to trust? You know, are they going to trust God? Or are they going to trust the other nations? Are they going to trust their own defenses? Are they going to trust other gods? Who are they going to trust? Um, and the, and we saw this sort of come to a resolution with this, you know, as we talked about last week, um, or the last two weeks, this kind of bookend. You know, the issue of trust started with um, King Ahaz's decision to uh, put his trust in the Assyrians rather than trusting in God. And then last week, as those very same Assyrians laid siege to Jerusalem, Hezekiah, uh, in contrast Ahaz, uh, goes to God, humbles himself, exercises trust in him, and God delivers them. But then, as also as we saw last week, um, Hezekiah follows that up with this expression of his own pridefulness and sin. So there's still this, even though uh, you have a king who decides to trust in God, there's still this underlying problem that the people have, and um, the the book going forward, chapters forty through sixty-six, uh, work around this theme of how can a sinful people be restored. And restoration is going to be the word that comes up um, over and over again. And, you know, there's not going to be um, much historical context. So, you know, the specific kings like Hezekiah, it's been narrative the last couple weeks, so we've been dealing really with history with a little prophecy sprinkled in. Uh, That little bit of history, for the most part, goes away. (laughs) Um, And he's talking about... um, you know, the big um, historical situation he's going to be talking about is the exile. Um, And we saw this briefly at the end of last week as he's told the people, told the king that the people are going to be taken into exile, by the Babylonians, these very people who Hezekiah showed everything to are going to come and take everything. And it's going to, you know, exile raises this huge question uh, after... um, establishing you should trust in God, you know, it raises this question, can we still trust in God if he sends us off into exile? What does it mean that the God who had delivered from Assyria would not deliver from Babylon? Would he still be trustworthy? Would he still be the holy one like whom there is no other? Would they still be his unique people, even though they had been carried into exile for their sins? So if the major message of the first half of the book centered on trust, the main message going forward is on restoration. And that restoration, again, it's a complicated question for a couple of factors. One, this God who didn't deliver them from the Babylonians, can he restore? Is that something that God can do? And then, so you got the question of ability, but then you also have the question of intention. Does he want to restore us? So, it, you know, these chapters are going to focus on not only that God has the ability, the power to deliver, but it's also that he wants to do so. So, um, you know, as we think about uh, restoration, um, Isaiah is going to be laying out this case that, yes, God has the power to restore you, and even more so, God wants to. Um, he's not just this powerful God who, but who doesn't care about you. He's a powerful God who remembers his loving covenant with you. Um, And uh, God's trustworthiness, in a sense, doesn't end at the point of our disobedience. God will demonstrate his absolute superiority by doing something new, something unheard of, causing a people, his people, who've been sent to exile for their sins, to return from exile. So with that uh, said... Uh, Let me read our chapter for us and then pray. So Isaiah chapter 40, uh, starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom, then, will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thus far the word of our God. Let's go before him and ask him to open its uh, reading and uh, our hearing uh, in our ears and in our eyes, but most importantly in our hearts. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you praise and glory for all your mighty works in creation and throughout history. Lord God, truly you are, as Isaiah proclaims so beautifully in our chapter before us, the all powerful God. But even more amazing than conceiving of a God who made all things and rules all things and controls all things. Isaiah presents a picture of a God who loves his people, a God who deals with not just the material problems his people face, warfare and bloodshed, but deals with their very hearts and who takes away the sin that alienates them from you. Lord God, we confess like uh, the the people of Isaiah's time that our hearts so often wander from you, that our thoughts so often uh, stray from your word and focus on the powers and forces of this world. Lord God, restore us, restore us to a full vision of who you are, both in terms of your power and might, but even more so in terms of your character, that you, the perfectly holy God, who cannot stand the presence of sin, has made a pathway that you can come and do away with our sin and restore us to full fellowship with you. Lord God, as we study this passage this morning, teach us who you are and teach us how we must live in the knowledge of who you are and what you've done for your people. We ask these things in the name of your servant, Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so chapter 40 kind of starts a little uh, abruptly. (laughs) No, again, no introduction. uh, No kind of in the days of King So-and-so, just straight in. (laughs) Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So so who's being comforted and, and why? Why do they need to be comforted? And to sort of give you a sense of, of context here, the word for comfort here, if we were to like look in places, um, let's see, I think I wrote some of these down. Um, uh, Genesis 24, 67, or Second Samuel 10, 2. Uh, we find this word, it's often used of the consolation you give to someone who's grieving the loss of a family member. That person needs comfort. So here he starts off this chapter with this command, comfort, comfort my people. So, who needs to be comforted and why? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and and think of you know the, you know. Uh, the starkness of that reality, you know, to have God kind of deliver them over and over again, and this time, God doesn't deliver. God lets them be taken into exile, and not only are they going to have difficulties worshiping that God in a foreign land, there's got to be that question of, why bother, you know, wh- why. Sh- should we even be, is this the God we should be worshiping? Um, you know, the worst thing, just as you said, the worst thing imaginable to them is is going to take place. And, you know, the question that's got to come up is, uh, you know, not just why, but um, it, is it all that trust? And again, sort of think he's, he's been building to this moment. All that trust, he's kind of and join the people to exercise in the first 39 chapters of this book, was all that trust misplaced? I mean, that's got to be um, the question that's kind of bubbling up in them, you know. Um, and, yeah, that, that they're experiencing a, a kind of, of loss here that is akin to death. Yeah, James. Um Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's uh, well, that's what most people I mean, I'm open to to, you know, is it broader than that? Because again, he's not giving a specific context, but it clearly he's positioned these words right after this pronouncement he's given in the prior chapter that, you know, the Babylonians come in, Hezekiah shows them everything. And Isaiah declares, you know, in the days of your sons, they're go- your sons are going to be carried off to captivity. And Hezekiah's like, well, at least it won't be me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, that the Babylonians are going to be the world power that, you know, as we sort of, if we sort of think of 40, um, especially 40 through about the mid 50s, the Babylonians are going to be the people. Uh, or the foreign people who are in view over and over again. So, um, so, but that's the question. I mean, it's not clear. You know, it's not specified. You know, is there a broader sense of comfort? And as we think about, especially as we think about those first two verses, um, you know, that comfort seems to extend beyond just the material circumstances of going into captivity. Again, it's, he's kind of centering on. Look, your real problem's not the Assyrians, your real problem's not the Babylonians. Your real problem is is your alienated relationship with God. And you know, as the people um experience that alienation through God, from God through these kind of tangible means of exile, um they're they're experiencing that same alienation from God even before the exile. Um so I, I think you you know your question is, is spot on. I think the comfort that he's extending goes just beyond circums- you know, mere historical circumstances of one particular episode. I mean, he's, I think, mean, conscientiously stripping it of historical details that this, the comfort he's extending, again, is for all people and all, all God's people in all times and places. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and again, you know, as as people sort of see a difference between, you know, the sections moving forward, you know, we've seen a lot of the the judgment that the people have sins that have to be dealt with. Um, We've seen, you know, those words of judgment over and over again. And now that, that same God who said, I will bring judgment on you is now the God saying, I will Make a double portion for your sins, and I'll be your shepherd. I'll be the one who's tenderly leading you um yeah, you're absolutely right that there's this yeah, um, and as we think about double um uh, I think we we talked about this um earlier in Isaiah like the idea of double is um it you know we we tend to use it as um well. We tend to use it as thinking multiply, you know, twice, Um, but they're using it more in the sense of the way we use double as, you know, if I have a twin, my twin's my double. Um, It's actually often used for a folded piece of paper. Like I I can't draw a heart, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old and if I need to make Dana a valentine, I still fold the piece of paper in half <laughs> and draw it <laughs> you know draw one side and and then you know cut it out and so that way you know I get my exact mirror image and that's the that's that's the idea of double here that you know they're getting the the full recompense the the exact match you know uh, of what uh, of what God's um, um so um but yeah I mean it, it's the idea that, you know, the sin that's there, though, is God is dealing with um, fully, totally, exactly. You know, that they're, they're not um, suffering uh, less than they deserve. It's not like he's just sort of forgetting about their sins. No, it's being dealt with, and it's being dealt with fully. Andre, yeah. There's definitely a jump in the timeline. But if we take it at least chronologically, he you he know, he uh you know, prescribed the judgment's going come, and now they need comfort for that judgment. And uh, so it seems like he is pointing to uh specifically judgment of of Bad uh, Yeah, there's this um consistency of um Again, it, it's funny how you know um, that, you know I, I had to look at a lot of kind of scholarship and it, there's been this change like the early scholarships oh this must have been written you know 150 years later after the exile because it, you know there's the, and now people are like well clearly somebody really skilled has connected <laughs> these you know so they've kind of moved back to it's more unified. That, you know, they're still not willing to recognize it all as the work of one author, but they've kind of backed off and sort of, you know, just like you're saying, there's clearly this unified uh, theme, and whoever's put this together wasn't as stupid and clumsy as 19th century largely German anti-Semitic scholars uh, said they were, um, That uh, that there's this consistency of theme, and he really is kind of you know have having um, established the principle you know that the worst thing imaginable is going to happen to them, and again, the thing that uh, is going to raise all these questions of of you know um, is this God really powerful to save us um, or does this mean you know we talked about this with the Assyrians' address you know the Assyrians assume their gods are superior of all the peoples they conquer you know and and we had our the Rabshaka, you know, make that, pronounce your god can't save you. Look at all the other gods, you know, we've captured. And so if the Babylonians take them, does that mean that the Babylonian gods are superior to their gods? So it's gonna raise all these questions uh, about trust and, um, you know, it, has their trust been misplaced? And rather than allow his people to give, o- give themselves over to despondency, you know, he comes with these words of comfort. Um, and, you know, the, the words of comfort, you know, notice that the, it's kind of a threefold message. That her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. So it's kind of, you know, uh, and notice there it's, it's not, um, which is to go back, I think, why James's question um, was so important, he's not saying specifically return from exile, you know, he's not mentioning the Babylonians specifically, you know, it's clearly consistent with that. But he's, I think, again, very skillfully, you know, identifying, look, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, these are all just kind of, of surface um, uh, symptoms of your deeper underlying problem. You have the sin that's alienated you from God that has to be recompensed. And how is that sin gonna be dealt with? Um, And the comfort comes, not just God's um, gonna deliver them, but that God is going to deliver them from their sin. And again, uh, as we sort of in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Um, I I love the idea that this is highway. um, Isn't um, isn't a highway that's being built so that the people can come to God? It's a highway so God can come to them. (laughs) You know that it's like God's approaching, and every obstacle in His way. You know, if it's a ditch, it's you know leveled. Um, If it's a hill, it's laid low. Uh, any obstacle, it, and it's this, you know, highway out of the wilderness by which God is coming to his people, which, again, is the way, there are so many familiar verses in this chapter. <laughs> uh, you, you know, if you think, hmm, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a reason. The New Testament authors um, you know, the, the section moving forward, these are going to be chapters that get quoted in the New Testament over and over again. And just as these words are applied um, to John the Baptist in the New Testament, you know, proclaiming, you know, God is coming to you. Um, it, he's proclaiming it just as Isaiah is. God is coming to you. Um, he's made this, this pathway for you. Yeah, and notice it's part of the way we see that more uh, universal approach is um, notice that it's, it's um, uh, later on in verse 9. Uh, Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Uh, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. It's the idea that, you know, as we've seen earlier in chapter in chapters, this idea of them being the ones, um, you know, being this uh, trumpet, <laughs> you know, proclaiming not just to themselves, but to to all the nations that uh, their God is the God and that their only hope is, you know, again, we get this, get you up on a high mountain. We've seen that mountain uh, earlier in the book of Isaiah, this mountain uh, where the, all the peoples are streaming up to, um, that this mountain that establishes God's perfect and permanent peace. Um, and they're, they're going to be heralds of this message uh, to all the nations. So it's, you know, as we think about sin, it's a problem faced by, just as James said, all flesh, not just um, the people of Israel. Yeah, Jonathan. yeah yeah and the way that this this tenderness um uh yeah i mean is 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 so part of god's character, you know the to sort of like um and i like how how you know uh, you you prodded uh you know sort of talked about your wife's prodding you to be tender um and I think what isaiah it, he's using that that very kind of analogy and Establishing it's god's character, you know it's his, his response is tenderness. I mean, as we think about um, the the picture of, of God presented here, um, you know we can you know um, always think of it was Van Til always drew on the board you know the you know God is holy other and we're you know so he drew these two big circles and sort of talk about this gulf between man and God. And so, you know, there's this complete separation between the essence of God and the essence of man. And we can sort of talk about all the attributes of God that, you know, things that God possesses that we don't, you know. Um, but, but there's also these communicable attributes, these things we can, uh, the things that God has that, that bridge that gulf between us and him and the way he can communicate those things to us. Um, And, you know, that he can, um, this God, again, who's all powerful in ways we can't even imagine. And, you know, we can talk about how in this chapter, so much of of the description, you know, all this kind of language of, you know, this God who can hold all the seas in the cup of his hand and kind of, measure it. Can you do that? <laughs> you know, the God who can, you know, cast the mountains on a scale and weigh them. Um, can you do that? <laughs> you know, he establishes this picture of this, you know, God who can do all these tremendous things. And at the very same time, it's, this is the God who loves you and who can shepherd you. Um, you know, this picture, uh, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So, you know, um, we, we can think of, you know, this, you know. I mean, think about um, movies um, with giants. Um, and, you know, giants are not known for being very gentle. <laughs> You know, you know, where you pick something up and delicate and, oh, oh, I crushed it. <laughs> or, you know, um, oh, uh, of, of mice and men where, you know, the, the big guy, uh, uh, Lenny, crushes the mouse. You know, he just doesn't know his own strength. And here you have a, this God who's just, you know, um, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills of a balance um, you know, this God uh, uh, who has measured the waters and the hollows of his hand, marked the heavens with a span. You know, you know. again, he's, he's getting us to imagine a God who is more powerful than we can even imagine, and yet that same God is tender toward us. Um, that is an amazing picture that he's laying out here. And it is this, this the, you know, the, the love of this, this father uh, who, um, though his people have, um, have strayed from him, though his people are marred by sin, he still restores them. Um, he still um, um, is tender toward them. Um, it's, you know, this beautiful picture um, uh, of this God. And who not only is powerful, again, he not only has ability, but he also has that desire. You know, he has the, not only has the ability to save, but he has the desire to save. And it's expressing that, that willingness to save in these verses. Um, wow, we went a long way on one question. <laughs> um, We might only do the first 11 verses today. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, I I wanted us to spend some time um, thinking about verses 6 through 8. One, just because I was thinking about these words are so familiar to us. Um, You know, um, our our church uh, that we, um, uh, Dan and I, were married in and were first members of in Nashville, uh, they have in their, their liturgy... Every week, you know, after they do uh, the reading uh, of, of God's Word, you know, they have responsibly, uh, people say responsibly, the grass, whether it's flower, fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. You know, these are, are words that um, Protestants love. <laughs> um, but, you know, as you think about these words, and especially, you know, think about the words coming in, in light of verse one, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, Um, and speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her, and then verse six, a voice says cry, so it's it's sort of part of the same uh, intention, the same message of comfort, cry to these people, you know, so you get this cry to her in, in verse two, and then verse six, you get that command, cry, and Isaiah says, what shall I cry, and then he gets this, you know, all flesh is grass. Um, so what are, what are these familiar verses that we often use to sort of establish this doctrinal principle about the role of Scripture? But what do they mean practically, um, and especially in terms of, of comfort? Yes, yeah, Sandy. Yeah, it's establishing the frailty of man. Um, And it's an image that Isaiah uses a couple of times in this chapter. Um, Notice that he he comes back to it, um, uh, talking about um, the the kingdoms of of mankind. Um, Oh, good grief. Uh, 24. Uh, So verse 23, who brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness, scarcely are they planted scarcely sown scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble so um so yeah this the men are like grass <laughs> and the rulers of men are like uh you know plants that God's purposely placed in the ground he's planted them and he's given them you know their role but as soon as he's done with them, they dissipate. So what's comforting about, again, sort of think about, you know, um, all right, all, all humanity is like the, the grass of the fields. Um, how is that comfort, comfort my people? Yeah, James and then Rob. Yeah, it's a, and in that helplessness, you know, the same words that bring in judgment. Just you know, as as Jonathan said earlier, how those words of judgment are always, you know, um, paired with these words of compassion, and and we should use the one <laughs> to to see the reality. You know, as we feel the fact that we're grass, <laughs> to 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 hold on to those promises, you know, that, that the same word that's established judgment is also the same word that's establishing life. Um, the same word that prophesies destruction is also prophesying restoration. And so, you know, as, as hopeless as you should feel at this moment, um, your hope is in the same trustworthiness of the word that prophesied destruction. Um, you know, and I, I think that's, you know, as we think, again, it's, I, I think sometimes we miss the kind of um, context of this. Again, I love these verses. I, I'm not opposed to using them in liturgy. But I think sometimes we, you know, again, we, this happens with us with familiar things all the time. You know, the things that we use and see all the time, we don't really think about, you know, what those things, you know, really mean. And, you know, as we think about these verses, to sort of think about, you know, I don't think we think about the kind of hopelessness, maybe, you know, when we use them, you know, in liturgy or something. Um, but, you know, to to think about, you know, they their words that should be comforting, you know, not just instructive, but... Yeah, that it's, you know, their hope, again, as you said, there there's there's no hope in themselves, you know, that, you know, there is no root in them, but, uh, but there is hope in this one who, you know, later on we're going to see who, um, you know, a, a tender shoot, he won't break, you know, again, this kind of idea of, um, all right, <laughs> you're helpless and defenseless, but here's a God who, who saves, and the same words that declared, have declared judgment are just as sure as the ones that are, are, are bringing comfort. Rob, yeah, Jerry. I find these verses at some point avoid it understanding. Kind of like the opposite of the word. The point seems to be that the word of God is. Yeah. It's fixed, it's established. And, you know, again, all these people who have no root, (laughs) you know, and to sort of think of how easily they can be blown away. I tried to, you know, I've got a little box garden, you know, four foot by four foot thing on the side of the house. And one year I tried to grow corn in it. And one, one, I I didn't get the corn out early enough and the corn really didn't develop very much roots, and, you know, the first good July thunderstorm comes through, and, you know, this corn that had, you know, gotten up to be about five feet tall was, you know, <laughs> I thought, I was looking forward to some juicy ears of corn, and, uh, you know, it took one good steady breeze to, uh, <laughs> to dash all those hopes, and to sort of, to think of this, this word of the Lord, um, creating this, this sure foundation, this, this uh, you know, that's gonna hold, rather than the roots trying to hold, to have the, you know, to sort of have, this is what's gonna hold on to you. Mary, you had your hand up, little along. Yeah, and it's this reorientation of, you know, how, how they view the world and power structures and what lasts. And, you know, again, it's, it's easy for us to sort of think of things that, you know, once established, that this is gonna um, remain forever. Um, I, I teach a class on uh, material culture in U.S. history. And I love when we get to the, to the 1950s and 60s, just because, well, 1950s and 60s are just great if you're studying material culture. Um, and uh, I, I, uh, one of the things we, we uh, study is the plastic house. So I, I think it was at the, I always forget which one's Disneyland and which one's Disney World, the one in California. So that one's land? Okay, so Disneyland in California, they built this plastic house, you know, the house of the future. <laughs> was actually what they called it. You know, and it was this, you know, mod looking, <laughs> you know, this is what our, all our houses are going to be look look like in 60 years. And so they built the prototype. And, you know, by the 1970s they're tearing it down. <laughs> and um actually they had real difficulty tearing it down cuz they hit it with a wrecking ball and the wrecking ball just kind of bounced off. <laughs> um but you know, it's this the idea. You know, we we build something and we think, oh, you know, this is gonna you know this is gonna last forever, or this is you know this is it, this is the thing. You know, we've established it, and you know, it's got a half life of you know really short half life. And to think, you know, the contrast of this God who's establishing something that will stand forever, you know. And the picture we have in this chapter of, of humanity being like grass, human rulers and kingdoms, you know, he plants them, they rise up, but when he wants to do away with them, they're gone. And, you know, we, we, it's so easy for us to get caught up in all those things. And he wants to take our attention, again, we, the way we ride the wave of good ruler, bad ruler, and you know, he wants us we'll build some, on something that's established, that's gonna stand forever, something eternal. Yeah, James. Why it a bad word? Um Uh, notice the word that comes up in verse 9. You know, uh, again, as we get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. I mean, again, you're, you're right, you know. The the word, and, and this is a theme we, we've talked about, um, you know, we've seen words of, of really harsh judgment, and those words are just as established as the words of, of tender comfort. Um, and often, you know, um, they're they're like a penny, you know. You can't imagine head, uh, you know. You know, we can imagine a, a penny with a blank face on one side, but you can't imagine a one-sided penny. <laughs> you know, it's it always has that. And um, and as we think about it, um, you know, it's it's the words uh, God establishes in right judgment. Um, those are true, um, and. And, you know, maybe, you know, in some circumstances we feel though the truth of those words more than the other. But um, from Isaiah's perspective, um, this is good news. Um, uh, and it's good news, um, you know, we, we need to end today, um, but to sort of set up, next week we'll talk about the second half of the chapter. Um, what makes it good news? Um, maybe that could be our, our kind of lead-off question. For next week, and just to sort of give you the, the preview, I, I think what makes it good news is the character of God. Um, it, all right, so his word, uh, you know, if, if you know, we say God's word stands forever, all right, whatever he says is established. So what do we have to look at next? Well, what's the one like who's saying it? Um, you know, what is his, his character? Um, who is he? um you know so you know again the sort of think whatever he says is going to stand forever all right so that leads to the question well you know i hope what he says is good <laughs> um and so as we think about that you know um, you know the 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 rest of the chapter after verse you know verse 11 you know so we get this kind of prologue declaration of you know word of comfort And then you know, from verse twelve on, it it goes into this kind of description of who God is. Um, And so you know, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a great question, and I think it's the question that's kind of naturally arising um, as we see how Isaiah structured this. You know, Um, all right, he's established the the reliability of this word, and what makes that word good news, and what makes that word good news is you know that he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young you know it, what makes it good news is the um the character and intentions of the one who's speaking these words all right well um uh i you know <laughs> i got through 11 verses of a 31 verse chapter that is a, not a good sign for a uh, for my intention to uh, <laughs> move rapidly, but um, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> notice why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and these, you know, uh, is funny. Yesterday um, uh, at Presbytery, Matthew, uh, you know, while we were waiting for it to start, turned to me and goes, "So you're doing Isaiah 40 more?" It's like, yeah. He's like, that doesn't have anything in it. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you know, that commentary you loaned me, you know, I think about the first tenth of it is just on this chapter, (laughs) because there's, yeah, there's a lot of um, familiarity uh, with verses in this chapter, and, you know, the way it gets kind of um, spread out throughout the New Testament, you know, a little here, a little there, it always, like, overwhelms me. Like, wait, (laughs) you know, all of that is like funneled into one chapter in Isaiah, you know, it gets sprinkled throughout the New Testament. We get a little taste here and a little taste there and then, you know, come here. It's like, whoa. (laughs) So, um, so next week uh, we'll continue in chapter 40 and we'll focus um, on verses 12 through 31, which again, sort of um, to, I think is Isaiah's answer to James' question, you know, why do we assume it's a good word, or how do we know it's a good word? We've seen all these words of judgment come true, and so, you know, as we think, um, you know, as ourselves, of as the, the grass of the field, you know, what hopes do we have? Um, as Mary said, our hope rests on the character of this God um, who is eternal, and that's what Isaiah's going to spend a lot of time giving really beautiful, again, kind of you know, anthropomorphic, you know, all these kinds of images. He's, tr- he's trying to get us to see it, to imagine. Um, and, and even then, it's like words, you know, you know, as Rob said, kind of understatement. He's trying in human terms to lay out who God is. And it's like, you know, <laughs> uh, his, his words are failing <laughs> to capture uh, this picture of, of God's reality. Uh, well, let me close this in prayer. Almighty God, we do thank you for the gift of your word. Lord God, you could have created the world and remained distant from it, but instead uh, you created the world and entered into a loving covenant relationship with humanity. And Lord God, uh, we confess um, and, and we see in your scriptures how uh, we and how our uh, forebears um, strayed from your word, um, ventured into sin. And what Isaiah is presenting before us is that human sin does not thwart your message. That our sinfulness doesn't um, destroy uh, your plans, your loving plans for us that your gospel goes forth uh, despite our sin. And indeed, you're, the good news is that, is that you have dealt with our sin, as Bill uh, pointed out to us, that you have dealt um, doubly with it. Lord God, help us to um, rejoice this day, uh, to humble ourselves as we come before your throne, but experience the great joy from knowing the all-powerful but also loving God uh, who has brought good news to us through the incarnation of your own Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.